Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. It is so good to be back today doing Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp today after a rare day of no show yesterday. Nice going to be back in the saddle again here today. And what do you say, since we weren't here yesterday, we kind of hit off the top of the show the topic that everybody seems to be discussing right now. That is what's going to come next for Georgia at the quarterback situation with Stetson Minute no longer part of the program with a big competition ongoing during Georgia spring practice where you got Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. We've been kind of told those are the two guys kind of sharing some number one reps right now, but Gunnar Stockton is also in this competition and he shouldn't be counted out. It just so happens we have a new fresh set of insight on this quarterback competition from Georgia coach Kirby Smart today. Smart spoke this week at, I guess it's the Macon Touchdown Club down there in central Georgia and uh, middle Georgia, I guess they like to call it. And he was, you know, there it's kind of an awards banquet type thing, but he also showed up there, kind of spoke, took some questions there at the end. Uh, our friends over at the uh, Central Georgia Sports Report put out a, a nice YouTube video of this, and I'll put a link to this because it's about 30 minutes long. Good speech. Uh, we may talk later on in the week about some of the other stuff that Smart said there, but good speech, Q&A there at the end. They did a good job videoing this. I want to give them some pubs for that, so I'll put a link to their video when we post the show later on at dognation.com uh, and across all the platforms, we'll put a link there to all of that there on that. But uh, I'll play a little audio here for me because we have some audio of this there as well, which is Kirby Smart on the topic of the quarterback position. Hey, what do you want to see from these guys here this year? And Kirby Smart, as he has been doing, and as you assume he would do, kind of keeping those cards a little bit close to the vest. This is what Kirby Smart said about quarterbacks this week down in Macon. The expectation for the spring is to have a really good competition to grow those guys, develop all three of them. We don't know which one will be the starting quarterback. We don't know how to play out. Um, we're not looking to find a starter on one day of practice. What we're trying to do is get those three guys better, make sure they understand the, the, the verbiage, make sure they understand how the offense – can they operate the offense and get the ball to the playmakers and make some plays themselves? You know, we're not, we're not like, trying to reinvent it. we got good players. We want to get the ball to them. We want to play good, sound defense and offense and play with some good special teams. But I don't think we're going to overdo the quarterback thing in the spring. We're going to sit there and let those guys develop. And they all need reps, and they all need game reps, and we can't get enough of that. So, obviously, I think we all could have pretty much anticipated that Smart would have said something like that. We'll say something like that again, has said things like that before. If you follow this kind of stuff closely, it's almost like you could write this script for Kirby Smart on what he's going to say about the quarterback situation. So, you know, he's not going to reveal necessarily too much on that. So, I was kind of thinking, you know, I wonder what other coaches are saying right now about their own quarterback situation because it just so happens that, you know, three or so teams that we kind of think of as perennial national championship contenders georgia obviously alabama too also ohio state they've also got their own quarterback competitions going on right now there as well and i was just kind of curious of well kirby smart has so far been as you assumed he would be when it comes to discussing his quarterback situation what's ryan day saying up there in columbus what is uh, nick saban saying over there in tuscaloosa and uh, you'd probably not be surprised to know that a lot of what those guys, Day and Saban, are saying is very similar to what Kirby Smart is saying right here. In fact, the other day, Ryan Day just came out and said, when he was asked kind of compare his quarterbacks, he said, nothing good is going to come out of me saying anything like that, essentially acknowledging that he was choosing to say nothing as it relates to that. But, but 
Ryan Day, who I don't mind telling you I don't like, uh, did say something that I did think was kind of interesting. And this is one of those things that is not just a characteristic for his quarterback competition in Ohio State. I think in a roundabout way, this probably works pretty well as a measuring stick for all quarterback competitions. He was asked, okay, well, you don't want to compare your quarterbacks necessarily, but what are you looking for from quarterback in general? He mentioned two things. He says, hey, I want a guy that wants to be competitive, and we can all understand that. But then he used a phrase that I think is really, really good. He says, I want a dominant trait. I want a quarterback that's got a dominant trait. I want something about my quarterback to stand out from everybody else. I want something about my quarterback to put him out in front of the other guys. And I think that's really interesting. Now, Kirby Smart didn't say that about his quarterback competition, but would you agree with me that it's probably fair to assume that he might be viewing this in somewhat the similar way of, hey, Brock Vandergriff's here, Carson Beck's here. What is it about this guy that causes him to stand out from the rest? Mark didn't say that in the clip we just played, but it's safe to assume that that might be one of those things that could sway him or sway Mike Bobo in this ongoing quarterback competition of which guy shows a dominant trait, an aspect to his game that causes him to pull out in front of the other guy. Now, with that said, if we are in the midst right now of trying to figure out between Beck and Vandergriff and also Gunnar Stockton there as well, which of these guys sort of has that dominant trait? I want to tell you something. In our attempt to read into this, in our attempt to do analysis that probably borders on overanalyzing, I think some of us are making a little bit of a mistake. Now, the mistake here is not coming from like local inside the bubble of Dog Nation, I don't think, because all of us, for the most part, are pretty plugged into all this. You know, me as the host, you know, all of us as Georgia fans, I think we have a decent handle on the situation with this Georgia team because we are so close to it. But kind of the farther you get outside the bubble of Dog Nation, I think you get a, a little bit of a misunderstanding here. And I think there is an attempt by some of the national media, and that's not like it's not misinformation you know people aren't trying to like you know intentionally mislead you i just think they have misunderstood what's going on in georgia and there's this attempt i believe to kind of shoehorn one guy having a trait that the other guy doesn't have as a way of creating a narrative around this quarterback competition that doesn't necessarily exist let me show you an example of this there was a story at cbs sports the other day as it relates to the various quarterback competitions around college football kind of and i like pieces like this because i like to follow college football around the entire country basically like sort of snapshot capsules of what's happening at texas with quinn ewers and arch manning what's happening in alabama with Jalen milrow and uh, 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 uh you know ty simpson what's happening in all these different places but the writer Chip Patterson, who's a guy that, you know, typically speaking, I've liked. We've had him on the show several times over the course of the years. I've got no beef with uh, Chip Patterson. But I do believe that his synopsis at CBSSports.com from a national perspective, looking at the Georgia quarterback situation, is completely wrong. And I think understanding why this is wrong, I, I think, helps us all understand what is playing out in actuality here at UGA. So let me read this to you for a minute. Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com, a guy that I like, saying about the Georgia quarterback situation, what's going to be interesting to watch is how the quarterback decision at Georgia might indicate what Mike Bobo wants to do with the Bulldogs offense in 2023. And here's the division he draws between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. Chip says that Carson Beck's got an experience edge and he's been pigeonholed, perhaps unfairly, as more of the downfield passing option. While Vandegrift has a more impressive recruiting profile uh, as one of the top quarterbacks in the 2021 cycle, in part because of his athleticism and his ability to make plays on the run. That's Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com. Now, I would ask you, do you spot the thing in that synopsis from Chip Patterson that I believe is factually incorrect? 
I hope that you do, because if you follow the career of Brock Vandergriff, especially going back to his time in high school at Prince Avenue Christian, where he was an outstanding player uh, working there in the, uh, uh, the, the, the Prince Avenue system, I think you would say that Brock Vandergriff was not a run first quarterback. Is he athletic? Of course he is. But Brock Vandergriff, during his time in high school, he was clearly a throw first quarterback who also had really good athleticism. Is it fair to say that Vandergriff may be the best of the three athletes uh, when it comes to the Georgia quarterback situation? That might be. I'm sure both other guys would kind of argue with that. But clearly there is a level of athleticism to Brock Vandergriff that's very impressive. But to say that he's the running option in the comparison between Vandegrift and Beck, I think that's wrong. I think that's trying to find a trait in Vandegrift that separates him from from Beck that probably does not exist. I, I think that you know while they kind of look different physically a little bit, I think both these guys, Beck and Vandegrift, and to a certain extent Gunnar Stockton there as well, all kind of want to play this, the, the game the same way. They want to make the big throw when when it's there, and if it's not there right away, they want their use. They want to use their athleticism to help aid them. In that particular case, I don't think that Vandegrift is all that different from Carson Beck in that regard other than the fact that Vandegrift truly might be just a slightly better athlete that might be an example of a dominant trade that he wants to put on display but to say that he's more run than pass I think is misunderstanding what Brock Vandegrift was in high school which kind of goes back to the original statement that uh that Ryan Day made okay well if that's not the dominant trade that can emerge here then what really is the dominant trade that might be the separator when it comes to this quarterback situation well, the deeper we get into the spring, the assumption I'm making, and I'll admit this is an assumption, so don't take this as a report, but the assumption as I'm making is right now the thing that separates one from the other might be the fact that Carson Beck, who's got plenty of talent, has also just been here a little bit longer. And it seems like right now the experience that Beck has, that Beck might be using that pretty effectively as a weapon right now in this competition. The fact that he's comfortable in Athens, he's comfortable in an offensive system that may be slightly different than the new coordinator, but still generally what Georgia has been. And part of the reason why I feel comfortable telling that to you right now is because of something another former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm, said on our show just the other day that right now when he looks at this competition he does see Carson Beck as kind of the clear favorite this is what Jake said on our show just the other day I do believe it is is Carson's to to lose um and I, I think that they've seen some some great things from him I mean he has unbelievable arm talent and um I, I think for him it's just um, developing as a leader um just finding that flow of the game finding that rhythm with, with the offense and uh, really just, just getting experience and taking reps. Um, but I, I do believe it is his to lose. One of the reasons why I've grown to love Jake Fromm on our show on Tuesday so much is because of statements like that. It's candid, it's direct, it's to the point, clear, easy to understand from a guy who's been in this situation as Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm right there speaking very clearly on the Georgia quarterback situation. That because Beck's been here, because he's got talent in his own right, that right now the guy who was number two a year ago may be in the best position to move up to number one conventional wisdom makes that easy to understand and right now according to some of the chatter maybe the conventional wisdom might truly play out here for UGA and I guess to kind of wrap up this conversation that sort of leads me to a to a different point which is I told you earlier that Ryan Day had said what he said about his own quarterback competition but I was also kind of paying attention to some about what Nick Saban was saying about his battle with a guy like say Ty Simpson against a guy like Jalen Milrow Milrow a little bit like what Carson Beck is and the fact that Milrow's at least played some I guess Milrow to Alabama has probably played more than Beck here as a Georgia but he has some experience Simpson's a guy that's played far less but Simpson's a guy that's also you know thought to be at Alabama really talented in his own right and one of the things that 
that Saban had said the other day about Ty Simpson is, hey, Simpson had really developed well, that he had really grown and matured in a way that I think was kind of closing the gap that Milrow might have because of the experience edge that he has in that. And so I think that might kind of be the next question for Kirby Smart in all of this, which is if we take Jake Fromm at his word, I think that Jake Fromm is a pretty wise guy on this, and I think he does have some insight, that it is Carson's Carson Beck's you know competition to lose because of the experience edge that he has, the fact that he's the number two quarterback a year ago, then how much has Brock Vandegrift's development allowed him to close the gap on that? How much has Gunnar Stockton's development allowed him to close the gap on that? Because ultimately, that may be what's at stake here, that a guy who played well enough during practice last year to emerge as number two may be closer to take that step towards emerging to be number one. But is Brock Vandegrift taking advantage of his time to close that gap? Is he developing the way that Saban says Ty Simpson, a quarterback at Alabama, is developing right now? Is Gunnar Stockton making that push there too? Those may be some of the unanswered questions that we still have to learn here. And the good news is, while we don't see a ton of Georgia practice, and some of what we hear about this is all rumor mill, coming up on April 15th, G-Day, we'll get to see this with our own eyes. A quarterback competition that I think has been fun for everybody so far, uh, we'll get a chance to see how this resolves itself as we head towards the end of the spring. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. Glad to be back with you here doing the show again today, and happy to have all of you with us, no matter how you get to us on video. We'll start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, across all video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon every single day on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com we just try to make the show as available as we possibly can and we're certainly so thankful that so many of you have found a platform that works for you whichever one it is we're relatively platform agnostic around here we just sort of want it to be out there be available and you guys can find it however you can and we're certainly appreciative of the fact that you do and we couldn't do everything that we do if not for great sponsors like our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who bring today's show for you there too but not only does Meriwether and Tharp help serve us in a situation like this by partnering with us and and uh, helping us deliver the show each and every week, they also want to serve you there as well. And for them, it truly is an act of service. They, you know, Meriwether and Tharp is a very generous company when it comes to helping you in one of the most challenging situations you might deal with, your own divorce situation. That's what you find yourself going through. And one of the reasons why I always have so much confidence and so much peace of mind about recommending Meriwether and Tharp to those of you who might find yourself in a divorce situation is because I see the way in which Meriwether and Tharp gives to its clients, but actually even gives to people who aren't yet uh, their clients. Because if you go to their website, which is the Atlanta Divorce Team.com, that's the Atlanta Divorce Team.com, you really will see why Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. What I mean by that is, is there are all kinds of free resources that Meriwether and Tharp doesn't get a dime for, but they will give you what could be potentially invaluable to you, which is insight into the divorce situation. You can read blog posts, you can listen to podcasts, and you can really educate yourself here. And I think what that education can be best used for is to make sure you know how to ask the best possible questions when it comes to that free initial consultation with one of Meriwether and Tharp's attorneys. This is what I love about the relationship that Meriwether and Tharp wants to have with you if you are in a divorce situation, that so much of what they provide is free, no pressure, you know, at your leisure, at your comfort. And then after that, you choose to take that next step and hire Meriwether and Tharp to handle your divorce situation so please find them online the atlanta divorce team.com that is the atlanta divorce team.com meriwether and tharp is your source for georgia divorce are we gonna get uh 
Terrence Edwards here coming up in a minute, the great former Georgia wide receiver on hand for us today. Always a fun conversation to be able to have with him. Prior to that, I want to give you a little bit of an update from Georgia practice here the other day where uh, media folks got a chance to see this. And once again, you know, I'll be self-serving here and tell you that if you'll go to dognation.com, we have some kind of new technology on the website, which is kind of cool, that if you look at like the, the practice report as it was published the other day at dognation.com, not only do you get a very thorough and descriptive written report from Connor Riley inside the story, if you kind of look up there at the top in the business, we call it the featured image, like the big box, the picture there at the top. It's actually a slideshow that, uh, you know, a gallery, I guess the better way. It's not a slideshow. That's, that has a negative connotation in the website world. This is more of a gallery type thing where, you know, easy technology. You can just, you know, literally kind of, you know, swipe to the left, which some of y'all have a lot of experience doing, uh, and uh, just keep swiping. You can see all kinds of pictures from the uh, Georgia practice. Good collection of photos from that day's practice that media got a chance to see. So if you want to feel like you're there, I really do feel like dognation.com is doing a great job of making you feel that way here right now and some really great new technology on the website is helping us uh do that i just think the dog nation has been looking awesome as of late i'm not a huge part of the writing on the website necessarily but i do uh, obviously love our site and i think it's gotten even better and i think that connor riley's practice reports oftentimes some of the best stuff that we have well after all of that sales pitch whatever else the point is the other day at dognation.com very good practice report handful of nuggets one thing in particular i want to point out to you here which is maybe something I was guilty of doing. Now, you listen, you can make a list of the things I've been wrong about over the years. It's going to be as you know, long as my arm, of course. But you know, prior to the start of spring practice, I think a lot of us were saying, hey, rubber stamp it. You know what Marius Mims is one of your starters at offensive tackle? Ernest Green's that guy at the other side. Really nobody else to push Ernest Green right now. This one belongs to Green. If he's healthy, he's going to be the guy. Now, listen. Ernest Green may still be the guy at offensive tackle because obviously he is an incredible talent and someone that I think everybody would say has a very bright future at UGA. But you also know this, at a place like Georgia, there is nothing given to you for free and everything is going to be earned. And right now it sounds like Green, who's a big time talent, is in a big time fight for a starting position here at UGA and that coveted playing time that everybody wants. It sounds like that's a battle right now along the offensive line. Connor Riley had a blurb to that effect at dognation.com. Let me read this to you here for a minute as it relates to the Georgia offensive line situation. Connor reporting that Austin Blasky is actually getting the first team reps right now at left tackle, at least based on the 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 time that Meade got to see the other day. He says Marius Mims was at right tackle, Cedric Von Prahn is at center, and Tate Ratledge, Xavier Trust are the uh, the uh, guard spots there. I guess Ratledge on the right side, Trust there on the left side, if I'm reading that correctly. Um, but that was your situation. And the part of that from Connor Riley at Dog Nation that may stand as a little bit of a surprise is Blasky ahead of Green. How much of this is Green working his way back from an injury situation that obviously took him off the field last year? How much of this is Blasky just being a big-time competitor and a tough guy to keep off the field? Maybe it's a little bit of a combination of all of this. If you go back and listen to Tuesday's show, I talked to Connor about some of this. This is actually prior to this practice report uh, viewing opportunity that, 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 that Connor and the rest of the uh, Dog Nation folks got uh, the other day. But Connor pretty directly said on Tuesday that if Georgia played a game today, which obviously it does not, but if Georgia played a game today, he says it would be Blasky and not Green who would be the starter there at that uh, particular spot. So let me tell you how I think you ought to interpret all of this. I think if you're a Georgia fan, I think you've got to view this as nothing but good news. Because I'll tell you, and you've probably heard me say this before, that I think in a roundabout way, 
you probably felt pretty good about what you assumed the Georgia offensive tackles were going to be, even if you kind of take Austin Blasky out of this. And, you know, we probably weren't giving Blasky a ton of uh, attention prior to the start of spring practice, and that may be our error, but that's just the way it was. We weren't giving him a ton of attention. But if you if we were to assume back prior to the start of spring, spring practice, oh, it's green here on this side, it's Mims here on that side, boy, you feel really, really good about your starters because those are two big-time talents that you got on both sides there. But the other thing we also said was, my gosh, what kind of tackle depth do you have at that point in time? This sort of feels like a little bit of a thinner situation in terms of backup tackle scenario than maybe we're used to seeing at, at Georgia. And we said that means a guy like Monroe Freeling stepping in as a true freshman, man, his development's going to be crucial because you may need that guy to be a tackle ready to go into a game if we assume our presumed starters, you know, Mims or, or Green, were to uh, get hurt. Well, all of a sudden now, you have now added another player into this mix. So if Blasky wins the job, that means he beat out a talent to the degree of Ernest Green to do so. That means Blasky's probably a pretty good player. Or if Green gets healthier and he emerges, and maybe he eventually, over the course of a competition that may go into the season, if he were to emerge, all of a sudden Blasky kept it close enough that you also apparently feel pretty good about playing Austin Blasky there as well. And then that's sort of a poof voila type thing where, hey, actually maybe the overall offensive tackle depth is a little bit better than I thought it was if you had a an a a competition this intense taking place there on that left side and Mary Smims is the right tackle I'm sure he'll be a little bit like Warren McClendon you may not hear a word about that side of the field all year long because McClendon sort of had it unlocked maybe Mims does there as well he may be one of the best players in the entire country this year a little bit of a mystery opposite Mims though and it sounds like we used the word fun competition earlier to describe quarterback sounds like Blasky Green's kind of a fun competition and a guy like Austin Blasky who for shows like this that probably at times get a little too obsessed with the recruiting rankings this and star rating that uh Austin Blasky flies underneath our radar but he's performing such a way at practice he says hey you better step up and notice me because you're making a fool of yourself if you're not paying attention to what I'm doing so nothing but credit to him for that and we'll continue to watch how this goes and obviously read more about this of course at dognation.com there as well so that is around the doghouse this is dog nation daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp before we're done we're going to make a little bit of fun of Nick Saban today because I feel like Saban's kind of caught himself in a situation where he's having to maybe backtrack on his words just a little bit. Also, a pretty volatile statement from an SEC quarterback that's at least worth some of our time there as well. And Kirby Smart has shared some insight into pretty hot topic as it relates to the rest of the SEC here right now. Sounds like he's kind of on board. So we'll cover all of that before we're said and done. Oh, yeah, by the way, a couple of special visitors at Georgia practice this weekend. I'm not talking about Jeff Collins in this particular case. Um, uh, we're going to do more of this on Friday, but I'll do some of this to close out our show here today. So we are very, very busy uh, before we wrap things up here today. But for now, uh, you love his insight on Thursday. Always such a uh, a great uh, commenter on the things happening around the Georgia program. It's the former Georgia wide receiver. It is Terrence Edwards here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thought. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let me bring Terrence Edwards in this conversation. Great former Georgia wide receiver. We love his insight on days like this. And Terrence, if you don't mind, let me also pick up on the quarterback thing that I was talking about a moment ago. You obviously spent a lot of time around the high school game. And, you know, I think there's an error on some of the national media. It's almost like they're trying to turn like Brock Vandergriff into Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick and sort of make him, you know, kind of a almost like a run first style quarterback. If you saw him in high school, I believe he was clearly 
you know, a pass first quarterback who had the ability to also use his leg. So I realized that everything needs a narrative, but the narrative that, that, that Beck's your throw or Vandergriff's your runner. And that is, you know, kind of how you decide to divide up this offense. I don't quite think it works out that way necessarily in terms of how these two guys kind of divide themselves from a trait standpoint. Would you agree with that? Knowing what you know about all these guys? Oh, I most definitely agree with that. Uh, I think Stetson is, was the most athletic quarterback in that room, so I don't think uh, Brock is near as straight line fast as him. I don't think Brock is as shifty as, as Stetson was or is. Uh, so I don't see that narrative of Brock being Michael Vick or he's been a guy that is a, a run-first quarterback. I think he's able to move the chains with his legs if need be. Um, he's bigger than Stetson, so I think he's able to uh, take some of the pounding if he's uh, getting to his mind that he's going to take off and run. Um, I've always said I don't need a quarterback that's, that's going to be able to take it 60. That's that's lovely. Love having Lamar Jackson type speed is something that's a plus, but can you get me eight yards when it's third and seven scrambling? That's, that's what I'm looking for in a quarterback in this day and age. And I think Brock is that type of quarterback that he will be able to to scramble and and get us first down with his legs. But him just being able to stand in the pocket and throw the football, that's what he's known for, not his running ability. So let me ask you this. The other day, Jake Fromm on the show said he thought the quarterback competitions, the phrase he used was Carson Beck's to lose. In other words, that Beck is the favorite, and if Beck doesn't falter, he'll be the starting quarterback. Would you agree with that characterization based on, I guess, what you think should be true, but also what you assume might be true at Georgia right now? I assume that to be true as well. I think it's, this job is Carson Beck's to to lose. I think he was next in line. If he should get the first opportunity to uh, showcase his skill set. Now, if he doesn't uh, capitalize on this opportunity, that is on him. So I think he will get the first shot at being the starting quarterback. And unless Brock Vandegrift just blows the – blows it away. I, I personally believe that Carson will start game one. Now, it's up to him to finish that game because you think about a few years ago uh, who started game one. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't Stetson. That's right. It, it was uh, JT. What was his name? No, he, he ended up going to Temple. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dwan Mathis is 2020. That's Dwan right. Dwan Mathis. Yeah. Started the season off right that first game and he didn't capitalize and, and Stetson uh was able to come in, and the rest is history. So who starts that game one is not necessarily who's going to finish the season. But it is, I believe, just like Jake Fromm believes, that it's Carson Betts' job to lose. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I mean, I think if I'm counting right, there have been four instances in which the game one starter wasn't the season-long starter for UGA. You talk about, you know, Dwan in 2020 giving way to Stetson. JT in 2021 also gave way to Stetson. Jacob Eason got hurt in 2017. Jake Fromm took over. But even 2016, people may forget, Grayson Lambert actually started the first game against North Carolina that year, and uh, Jacob Eason eventually took over before the year was done. So, you know, maybe that's the pathway here if you're a Vandegrift or a, a Stockton is to say, I may not be able to overtake back right now, but history shows that uh, eventually I may get my opportunity because, you know, these kinds of things have kind of changed during seasons in the past. Right, correct. So um, there's an old saying in football that you're only one player away. So you never know what's going to happen. Jackie Easton get hurt and Jake Fromm took over and the rest is history. So, 
those guys, I think that we do a great job of being ready and willing to do whatever the team needs. But you have to prepare yourself as you're going to be the starter each week because you're always one play away from being a starter from injury or just like we've seen and just like you said, the, the player is not playing up to the standard that was set for him and they make a change. And uh, once you get your opportunity, you have, you have to capitalize on it. So um, going into game one, like I said, I believe Carson Beck will be the starter. Uh, and Brock and Garner just have to be ready just in case their number is false. So let me ask you uh, this. If you were advising Brock Vandegrift or you're advising Gunnar Stockton and they came to you and said, and for the sake of conversation, like I said, they say this is true, is that, you know, hey, right now Beck's kind of ahead of me. What do I do to close the gap? Like if you're Vandegrift, I mean, clearly you want to win the competition. Even Gunnar Stockton, who's the youngest here, he wants to win the competition. What do you do to close the gap? I mean, obviously you got to practice well, but is there is there a specific thing you can do to try to like – diminish the the advantage that Beck has by being a talented guy who's also a little bit more experienced what can the younger quarterbacks do to make a name for themselves right now I think it it, it starts in practice I think a lot of people don't really understand how important practice is there's a lot of data that goes into practice so uh, I believe the guys are going to get equal amount of reps Uh, I think all this this guy is going to be composed to show the truth uh, percentages of who's winning in into practice, who's doing better. So each day, uh, the, the backup quarterbacks have to go in there and figure out what can I do better today. Is that just being a, a true leader? Is that just being a great teammate? Is that just being able to back up the guy who's in front of me with the same spirit if I was the starter? So that goes a long way. A lot of things that, that, that you don't see as a fan – um, that we do see is just body language. A body language goes a long way. You're in practice, and now you're not putting your best effort because you may believe you should be the number one guy, and you're not for whatever reason. We see by bad body language, and bad body language is contagious. So you got to come to practice with a smile. you got to come to practice trying to get yourself better and the team better. And that goes a long way. And it's just not numbers. It's, it's everything that goes into it. And bad body language could go a long way of not getting on the field. We've been doing this show for a long time. Hopefully we don't get everything wrong. But one thing I do think that we occasionally get wrong year after year after year is, is Terrence, when there's a discussion to be had about somebody stepping into a new starting role, we have a tendency to fixate on the guy that had the higher recruiting ranking. And oftentimes we're proven wrong on that, that someone of a lesser rank actually proves himself to be a very good player. It's too early to say what's going to happen for Georgia at left tackle, but once again, you got a situation where a guy like Austin Blasky, who did not necessarily have a lot of recruiting attention around him when he came to UGA, sounds like he's performing pretty well at practice right now, and it sounds like, at least based on some of the reps that have been seen, eyewitness account here, has been kind of getting some look at first-team left tackle here ahead of a guy like Ernest Green, who has been banged up, by the way, uh, but a much higher-rated recruit. These position battles are fun during spring practice, what do you make about the idea of some su- surprise starters potentially emerging? A guy like Blasky, to me, if he ends up being the starter at left tackle, even if it's partially due to a green injury recovery, that'd still kind of count as a surprise. This is one of the fun things about this time of year, isn't it? Right, right. And I've seen some stuff on the on the uh, social media world talking about Austin, and, uh, and he's ahead of Ernest Green right now. Ernest Green must not be as good as – I just laugh at that stuff because – like you just said, Ernest is coming off an injury where he didn't really participate as much last year and get the reps that he needs. And Austin has been there and, and working and 
you read all the tea leaves, that he is a really mean uh, SOB. So he is a guy that's put in his time. And we all, um, and, I, and I think fans get caught up into someone else's opinion about a player and not really dive deep into a player. So Kirby and staff saw something in this young man that they like to offer him a scholarship. And I just think every every guy that we, if we go and say he shouldn't be at Georgia, let's look at Javon Bullock. When he came out, he's from my area. Um, I'm from San Jose. He's from Millersville. So I, I've known the kid. I've heard about the kid for a long time. And when we signed him, you can see the grumbling within the Georgia fan base. Why do we waste another scholarship, blah, blah, blah. Now look how this guy's turned out. One of the best players, the yeah. uh, MVP on the defense, and guy that is just a football player. So we just got to wait and see a lot of times. of How is he going to shake out? Because recruiting rankings is, yes, you have some guys that, that do this for a living. But that's, you cannot determine someone's heart. Into this, you may, there's a guy that may have the skill, may have the look, may have everything that you're looking for, but these recruiting rankings does not determine how much dog, how much heart you have. So I, I just wait and see. I'm just, and I know Kirby and Company is going to play the best player. It doesn't matter if somebody came in with the height. They're going to play the best player because they want to win games. So I, I just think when you know it's fun and. We love doing the National Signing Day thing and praising about recruiting classes, and, and it does help. I'm not saying that because you look at the teams that are on top, they normally have signed the better players. But there's some, some guys that it's not rated as high, but are dang good football players. And from what I'm reading, he's one of them. And I'm, I'm a Javon Bullock fan. He's another one of those guys that was a low-rated kid, not one of the better players on the team. No, I think that's really interesting. Uh, there's been some chatter here as of late. I think some of this goes back to something that Brock Bauer said to the media the other day about how the Georgia offense might could look a little bit different here this year. And some of this is just strict personnel related. The fact that Darnell Washington isn't here anymore and Washington was such a catalyst for what Georgia did as a second tight end on the field last year. But a guy like Dominic Lovett, who wasn't here last year, now he is here and he had darn near 900 receiving yards last year. That's a guy you want to use and probably use him as a slot that – well, if you got the slot receiver in the game, that means there's not really room for that second tight end. So maybe you see less of the two tight end sets and more of the three wide receiver sets, and that becomes a little bit more of a common look for Georgia, whereas, you know, Georgia's obviously enjoyed playing those two tight end sets. Not to get too, like, X's and O's football here, but, you know, what do you think about the idea that, hey, maybe because of the fact that receivers are a little bit deeper and slot receivers are guys that you might really be able to weaponize this year, that there may not be as much room for the two tight end stuff here this year. Terrence, what do you make of that potential scenario for Georgia right now? I, I, I just think it's uh, Darnell was a, was a very unique football player. And even if Todd Monken was still the offense coordinator, you can't replace Darnell Washington, and I know Brock is a generational talent. He's going to go down as one of the best players in Georgia history. Uh, but I, I've said this over and over and over. We may not see it for his production standpoint, but Darnell Washington was just as valuable as Brock Bowers in his own way. Yeah. So I think losing a talent like Darnell was possibly going to show more eleven personnel that. Three, tight, three receivers, one tight end, more than 12 personnel that we generally stayed in because of Darnell's unique ability to block, catch, and run. Uh, and I've been hearing so much buzz about Dominique Lovett. It's, it's crazy. I will be in Athens today for the coaches' clinic, so I'm able to Good. see 
this young man in person. But from what I've been reading, he's been probably the best receiver in practice so far. So I think the offense is going to change a little bit because of personnel. And we bring in, and we have Bobo, who's been a successful offense coordinator. Everybody always talk about, and it's fun to me to talk about, we're going to go back to running tall tweets. Well, Aaron Murray is the all-time leading passer in Georgia history. And Bobo was his offense coordinator for four years. So I don't get this narrative of Bobo wasn't a kind of a pass-first guy when you got a quarterback that was 13,000 yards uh, in the SEC. So I think Bobo is going to – we are going to continue using the same playbook, but Bobo is his own man, so he's going to bring in his own wrinkles there, here and there. So – I just think personnel-wise, it's going to look different because we're losing a player that is irreplaceable, in my opinion, that's in Darnell Washington. So let me finish with this then because I think you bring up a lot of really good points, which is, okay, so if you are going to play more three receiver sets, it's easy to understand why Georgia would because you want a lot of these guys in the field. Like, How do you go to that? Obviously, no more Darnell Washington around here. How do you go to that without losing something in your running game? And how do you manage your offense so that, hey – you're not tipping off your play call because if you are bringing that second tight end, well, maybe that's more likely to be a running play. And if you've got the three receiver set and that's more likely to be uh, you know, a, a passing play, how do you manage the running game with this potential decision with personnel about when you go slot, when you go second tight end? I think we're still going to stay in 12 personnel. We didn't recruit these tight ends not to continue to be in a lot of 12. Uh, we just don't have a Darnell. Uh, Oscar Delph is going to be fantastic a guy that i've worked with um a little bit better route runner probably yeah. a little bit more vertical stretch than darnell uh but you can't replace six seven two eighty uh i think the closest blocker and people uh need to continue to go watch this film the blocker that is probably one of the better blocking Chinese right now is uh lawson lucky who was asked to block a lot at norcross uh, so he's probably going to get some opportunity there. But the tight end room is just going to be a little bit different now. I, could t- I think we're still going to have to do the 12 personnel, and those guys are going to have to block. Uh, I don't want Brock down the blocking. I'd rather have the other tight ends down the blocking, and they'll have their chance. Next, you have to block Brock Lee's, that they get to be the Brock Bowers. But we got to have those tight ends to get in there and be able to block in the run game. That's been our identity, uh, the 12 personnel more than anyone, I think we're going to continue that uh, because we have recruited so, so well at the tight end position. But the group is different. We have a bunch of Travis Kelsey, in my opinion, in the room now that's able to stretch the field with their route running, catching ability, and speed for that position. So I think we're still going to employ the 12 personnel, but I just think having 11 personnel out there right now, we're just going to have to get it done in the run game or RPO game. Um, depends on the numbers in the box. We we are we have recruited very well on offensive line, so we're gonna have to be able to move people with the front without having Darnell. But it's just gonna be different. But I still think it's gonna be productive. Well, speaking of guys that you've worked with, I believe you've worked with Pierce Sperling before too. So if you talk to him, please pass along to him. We're wishing him well as he recovers from injury. I know he got a little bit banged up the other day, so we'll wish him well on that. And of course, uh, Terrence, lots of guys that you work with. This is the time of year when that takes place so if folks want to be a part of the terrence edwards wide receiver academy and we just talked about tight ends but the te wide receiver academy stands for terrence edwards here uh, we'll make sure we're clear on that how can folks get in touch with you and the great work you're doing getting folks ready for the upcoming season here right now 
Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards, Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. Look forward to talking to you next time, and uh, maybe we'll see if we can get some insight from you in what you see from Athens here today there as well. Good stuff there from Terrence Edwards. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, Terrence said he was going to that coaching clinic today. You better believe we'll uh, we'll be peppering him with questions after that's all said and done. He also said one more thing about Austin Blask. I think it's really interesting. He used the word mean to describe him. You know, listen, this is an oversimplification, but I think this may be kind of true. It's like, hey, if you've got close battles for position at any spot on the field, offensive line, defensive, secondary, any position on the field, you know, if you put the 11 meanest guys out there on either side of the ball, that's usually a pretty good way to go about your business. And so that might be one of the differentiating factors for a guy like Blasky right now. One of the reasons why he's earning some of the credit that he's earning. I tell you what's not mean, though. That's the chance to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, the chance to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. For us here at Dog Nation, we're getting excited about our own Dog Nation cruise coming up April 24th to 28th. It's almost here. And as you hear us talk about that, get excited about that, you need to do like so many of our folks in our audience have done. They've shared photos with us, and sometimes we've shared those with you. Uh, you need to go ahead and get planned up on your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Springtime travel, heading towards the summer, kind of the best time of the year in a lot of ways. Be out there on one of those Royal Caribbean cruise ships or starting to think about late 2023. Oftentimes you get great savings on some of those fall sailings and things like that. Or do you want to start thinking about January 2024 when Icon of the Seas debuts? For the very first time, whatever cruise itinerary suits you, the three night sailing, the four night sailing, the full seven night sailing, uh, going to destinations all across the Caribbean, including the Bahamas and including Perfect Day, Coco Cay, whatever your choice is, a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is out there for you. And a great travel agent like Jessica Slater can do it. By the way, our own Kaylee Manziel, she was on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation just the other day. She can tell you how much fun that was. So talk to Jessica. She can help you. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. Jessica Slater, travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you get the most out of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. With that said, let's go cruising around the SEC now courtesy of royal caribbean and we don't talk politics here on this show for obvious reasons but there's a phrase oftentimes used in politics i want to use with you right now you know when the politician sort of says something they don't mean or says something they wish they didn't say which is i guess more true often than the other part of this you have to go back and kind of clean up the mess that you made and sort of pretend you didn't say the other thing and you said this in politics oftentimes that's called walking something back hey i said this maybe now people don't really like what i said so now i gotta pretend i didn't say it so i'm gonna walk this back and try to put the toothpaste back in the tube i believe we have a little bit of an example of that i think from alabama coach nick saban now he would never admit this but i believe that's kind of what's going on here you'll remember the other day that nick saban upon suspending his defense back tony mitchell for you know whatever was going on there uh saban said there's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time that was taken by most to be a shot at alabama basketball coach nate oates who had said something similar uh, uh and then he also i guess eventually tried to walk that back as it relates to brandon miller in the situation that's gone there with the basketball team which by now you're probably also very well aware of too saban has tried to pretend that this was just a misunderstanding that folks have mischaracterized what he said that he wasn't attempting to take that shot at the basketball team i don't necessarily believe that but that's what saban kind of tried to put out there through, through some back channels and things like that 
Well, now you've got uh, photographic evidence of Saban and this basketball team being all lovey-dovey and maybe even with Nate Oates being all lovey-dovey. So whatever was said before, photographic evidence, at least according to Saban here now, that nah, he's all in on this basketball team. Let me show you this. Uh, so Saban's out there. <laughs> with Nate Oates. He's shaking hands with everybody. He's having a good time in Alabama basketball practice prior to the start of the uh, Sweet 16 here. And I'll tell you, I think everybody's sort of getting this wrong here. You know, a lot of people are kind of treating this, the whole idea of no such thing as the wrong place, the wrong time. This is some sort of rebuke by Saban against Nate Oates, who they feel like is being too cavalier and is handling the situation with Miller. To me... Look, if this is Saban drawing a hard line on discipline, this would be one of the first times in his career he's ever done that that I can remember. You know, oftentimes Saban's been criticized for the exact opposite. So the fact that Saban's doing this now leads me to believe he must just be jealous of Nate Oates. Oates is winning. Saban right now, at least at the championship level, is not. You know, pretty soon people sort of forget what you did a few years ago, become what have you done for me lately? And right now I'm sure Nate Oates, probably in the eyes of Saban, sort of looks like the toast of Tuscaloosa. What is it, the Rammer Jammer, that little breakfast spot right there next to the stadium? I'm guessing there's a lot more Nate Oates talk right now than there is, at least for right now, Nick Saban talk, because Saban lost two games a year ago. So Saban trying to put Oates in his place and then pretend that he didn't. Seems like that may be what went on there. Saban trying to walk that back a little bit. Speaking of volatile comments, South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler had some of that, I guess, as well. You know, the Barstool show called, I think it's Bussin' with the Boys, I believe it's called. So they go to Columbia. We talked the other day about what uh, uh, Shane Beamer had to say to the Bussin' with the Boys guys. And so the question was also asked to Spencer Rattler, the quarterback of, I think this actually is a good question. Uh, if you get drafted in the first round, do you want folks in Oklahoma to kind of claim you? Do you want them celebrating this as an accomplishment for them? And he said, no, I don't want them to do that which I think Rattler's well within his rights to do. He was the Oklahoma starter. They benched him, and he left. You know, the idea that somehow Rattler's supposed to, like, you know, ultimately and forever pay homage, 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 whatever the word is, to what happened there in uh, Norman, Oklahoma for him. I don't think he should feel like he should have to do that. And uh, if Rattler were to be drafted in the first round, I don't think Oklahoma gets to claim him at all. They put him on the bench, which obviously also circles back to Alabama here, too, who – tries to claim Jalen Hurts. The worst part of this, though, may be uh, what's going on in Ohio State, where they, I mean, they try to treat Joe Burrow as if he was an Ohio State quarterback, part of the reason why I don't like that program very much. Uh, and, you know, and I know Joe's from Ohio, and, you know, I guess he did enjoy his time at Ohio State, but he's also playing for the Bengals. He has to say things like that because so many of the Bengals fans are also Ohio State fans. At least it would probably serve him well to do so, and that may be why he does it. But the point is, You've got a lot of programs right now trying to claim guys they didn't have much to do with while they were there, including Ohio State with Joe Burrow, who became great the moment he left. Columbus, not the first person to put a smile on his face by seeing Columbus in the rearview mirror. But the point is, uh, good for Spencer Rattler saying, no, Oklahoma doesn't get to claim me <laughs> if, if I go to the first round. The real issue here may be uh, Rattler working his way into a first-round quarterback conversation, something that I don't know that he's going to be able to do. But at least he's uh, saying what he said. I also thought there was some interesting comments recently from Greg McElroy in his podcast. He does like one of these ESPN podcast things. We, we may talk more about this in the time to come. I know we will. But the relationship between Jimbo Fisher and new offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino. This is going to be one of the fun subplots in the, the SEC here this season where Fisher is at a point in his career now where he needs to turn the offense over to someone. And you can say what you want to about Bobby Petrino, the person, Bobby Petrino, the man, people have, and almost all of it's true. But Petrino, the coach, is still 
I think, a very effective football weapon. And a guy like that, who could be head coach at UNLV, uh, comes to Texas A&M, you assume he comes to have control over the offense. So if Jimbo Fisher won't let him have it, then Fisher deserves to be fired. And he probably will be fired because it's pretty obvious that the Fisher offense, as we saw a year ago, just wasn't working. I know Fisher kind of got a little bit bristly about that at spring practice with a press conference the other day. But the proof is in the pudding. The results are right there on the field. And Fisher's had plenty of chances to resurrect that A&M offense, hasn't been able to do that. So that's why Petrino is here. It'll be interesting to see, to use a phrase that's popular these days, if, uh, if, if, if Jimbo is going to let Petrino cook. It'll be interesting to see if he gets the, the freedom to do what he wants to do there. If he does, this could be a better A&M offense. Petrino's obviously uh, an effective offensive coach. That'll be a fun subplot in the uh, SEC West here this season, what is the final year of that division. And, of course, tonight, Sweet 16 action gets back at it again. You got, what, three SEC teams in the mix here between Arkansas and, obviously, Tennessee and uh, Alabama there as well. Uh, we'll be honest here. You can call us a hater if you want to, but we are openly rooting against uh, Alabama. We're running out of teams that give us a legitimate chance, I believe, of uh, of besting the over- number one overall seed. So maybe we kind of hang our hat on UCLA a little bit. Uh, maybe that's where you kind of gravitate towards if you want to see a non-Alabama champion. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. There's also the potential of like an Alabama-Tennessee third Saturday in October. I think it's final, would it be final four, regional final uh, for those uh, for those two teams. That could get fun later on. Uh, but nonetheless, pretty good SEC flavor here to the Sweet 16 as it gets tipped off again tonight. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, Earlier, just a moment ago, I mentioned the fact that in the SEC, this is our final year for divisions. In 2024, this league takes on an entirely different look. So as we kind of shift back to Georgia here for a moment on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thought, let me give you a little bit more from Kirby Smart in making this week. Uh, he was asked in that Q&A situation about, hey, what about this expanded schedule? What about all of this, your three permanent opponents? There are some coaches, Alabama, Nick Saban, obviously, you know, whining left and right. Uh, some entities were led to believe that Kentucky didn't want nine-game conference schedule. They wanted to stay at eight. They liked that non-conference game, uh, given that chance at bowl eligibility. So some programs have been outspoken about this. Kirby Smart, though, not going down that road. This is what he said this week about what's about to happen with the brand-new SEC scheduling model. Take a listen to this. I have no thoughts on my permanent opponent. It's not my job to pick them, so I'm not going to whine or cry about it. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take whoever they get us and try to beat them. I think that's the best way to handle it. And uh, the best thing about that is they'll rotate to, to where you'll get to play everybody in our conference at a faster rate. You know, everybody talks about us and A&M. We haven't been to A&M the whole time they've been in the conference, and we're finally going soon. But when you go to nine, you turn it over faster. So you get to see everybody, and I'm not – I mean, look – there's somebody a lot smarter than me with algorithms. I sat through a meeting where they told us all the algorithms of how they're going to figure it out. And I said, you know what, y'all just let me know who we got. <laughs> I'm going to spend my time trying to get the best players and let y'all figure out who we play. Because I, at the end of the day, you got to beat who you play, right? And, and, and they decide that. I, I don't think there's any partiality that, oh, we're going to give this team an easy schedule and this team a hard schedule. I really don't believe that. So I think that Smart's last point there is a really important one. We're making a big deal about permanent opponents right now because that's the new thing. That's information that we want to learn and have confirmed for us. But I believe four or five years in the future when we've just kind of gotten used to this new schedule, if it does play out the way we assume it's going to, I think at that point in time, we may almost forget who the permanent opponents even are because there will only be three of them. If it's a nine-game conference slate, there will be six 
non-permanents and you're playing every team in the league every other year so the idea that one schedule is going to be way harder one schedule is going to be way easier I think for the most part we're going to notice a lot more balance overall in the SEC schedule because the scheduling is not going to be as influenced by one division being way better or worse than the other and back in the 90s it seems like the east was always better than the west last decade or so it seems like the west has been way better than the east we won't be as influenced by the imbalance of the divisions moving forward. I think Smart's point on that is probably a pretty good one. But on the idea of a schedule being slightly easier, slightly worse, hey, choose your fighter here. Who do you want? Do you want Nick Saban, who, I mean, he just was. He was whining the other day about an Auburn, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, LSU as permanent opponents, even though for the most part in his career, he's beaten those teams year after year after year from a Crimson Tide fan. It makes me concerned. Hold on, what does Saban know that we don't if all of a sudden these are tough games in his mind now, given the fact they really haven't been tough games since he's been here uh, going back to 2007? No such whining from Kirby Smart who says, hey, just tell me who to play. We'll show up and be ready to play the game. I don't mind telling you that the mindset that would seem to serve you better is what Kirby says there as opposed to what we've heard Nick Saban say in the past on that. And I guess one more final point I'll give to you here, and at this point you probably don't need me to tell you this, but nonetheless – in that particular clip, Smart being given the chance to kind of push back on the, well, we'll see what the league decides to do. He doesn't choose to do that. It certainly seems like he's operating on the assumption that it's going to be a nine-game slate and the idea of choosing the three permanent opponents, he certainly doesn't push back on that being the way this is going to go, which kind of coincides with a lot of the the whispers and the leaks and the reporting that's out there. The SEC will have its spring meetings coming up in Destin, Florida in May, generally kind of, I guess, what sort of mid to late May is when that uh, typically takes place. I am not a part of the coastal elite uh, media that typically attends that, so I don't know exactly when it is, but the uh, the other coastals will be there, and uh, they will hear at the time, I believe, the official announcement from the SEC about that schedule. I think they would have liked to have made an announcement about this a year ago. Schools like Kentucky, I think, push back enough that they didn't feel like they had enough you know unanimity with their agreement to be able to do that but this year i believe that announcement is going to come out so in the next you know six weeks or so we're gonna i think hear officially about what the sec schedule going to look like in 2024 i believe it's going to be a nine game conference slate. i believe it'll be three permanent opponents and it sounds like as of late the thought of well maybe georgia will play south carolina every year maybe it sounds like it's trending more towards a kentucky or somebody like that to go along with the two rivals florida and auburn uh kirby smart last night though kind of giving some more life to that as a possibility and also essentially saying hey just tell us who to play we're gonna line up and beat them whoever it is that's a mindset that seems to serve the dogs pretty well all right so on tomorrow's show i'm going to talk about a couple of visitors who made their way to uh, georgia practice this week and no i'm not talking about georgia tech coach jeff collins who was uh seen at georgia practice yesterday the first real football he's seen in years but um uh i did notice that this week sony michelle and nick chubb were back at uj practice again uh, dale mcgee sharing this on twitter in fact i like this another make this our golden shoe winner for today dale mcgee saying it was awesome having and he uses the, the twitter accounts for sony michelle and nick chubb back at the building today he says rbu is not just a hashtag we're a family that is really good stuff there smiles all the way around and you talk about the success that Georgia's enjoying right now. Two guys that were the bedrock foundation for that, what Chubb and Michelle did coming back to Georgia for 2017. I think a lot of way made all this possible. So we're going to have some running back stuff tomorrow. Kind of a fun thing to do on a Friday. Great photo there. Golden shoe to be had. Let me tell you who does not have photographs like that. That's those lousy, stinking gators. They have no such has- recent history anyway to uh, lean back on. In 219 days from right now, more bad news for them. It is a beatdown coming 
the hands of the dogs. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. It was great to be back here with you today. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.